Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this episode of the Coliseum podcast. Uh, I am your host for today. My name is Neil. Uh, I don't even actually remember what my title is in CCW anymore. Uh, for years, I've just always told people that I am the worship boy uh, because I tend to do a lot of the worship and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so first of all, uh, I'd like to introduce you to everybody else who is joining me for this podcast. Uh, Haley, would you like to say, say hello? Give us a little introduction. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Haley Eccles. I am the pastor at Campus City Wesley Foundation and uh, looking forward to talking about Romans 12 and a little bit of 13. Very nice. Very nice. Ty, my man. Hey, my name is Ty. I also work at CCW and um that's me. That's my life. Very nice. Very nice. And last but certainly not least, our special guest, Missy. And please introduce yourself to the people. Hi, I'm Missy Hart, and um, I'm an associate pastor at Mandarin United Methodist Church. And I started in that position last year in July. And before that, I spent nine years um, in extension ministry in Japan part-time pastoring a church and then also doing some peace and reconciliation work there. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So I have a little uh, icebreaker question for y'all just to get us all warmed up. It's one of my favorite icebreaker questions. Um, It is, what is your hot take of the day? So if you don't, you know, can't immediately think of one, right? Good example for for the people at home uh, is for me, I think the Titanic is a movie, a little bit overrated, right? Like, is it well shot? Is it a good script? Is it overall a good movie? And the acting is good. Yes. But do I think it deserves praise as being like the greatest movie of all time that some people argue that it is? No, no, I don't. No, not for me. So that'll, that'll, that'll be, that'll be my hot take of the day. My little example. So anybody, please hop in. I like completely stole this one from Bryant Manning, who's the director at FSC Wesley, but it's so true freestyle coke freestyle machines are a failed experiment and they need to go away they're terrible and the coke always tastes vaguely of like other flavors even when you're just trying to get like the pure regular coke and uh yeah and then um kids at it are a complete nightmare because they're like mixing up the weirdest combinations and yeah not not a fan I'm inclined to wholeheartedly agree with you on that because like, yeah, because like all even though, you know, maybe all the flavors are stored differently, but they all have to come out the same spout. And so you're just getting like a weird like mixture of everything. I would always get uh, for a while I was on a big pink lemonade kick. And so I would get like the pink lemonade out of there, but it always just tasted a little bit wrong, <laughs> you know, and pink lemonade is already a very particular flavor. But anyway, and somebody it else. Matter. You yeah, can just exactly. you can send water down it for like a second. It's mm-hmm. not enough. Yeah. I think um <clears throat> I think my hot take currently uh goes against the flow of um people on Twitter who complain about uh like the current state of Marvel and Star Wars media properties um like 
saying it doesn't have a direction or it's just, you know, stale or whatever. Uh, the most recent example has been this season of The Mandalorian. And I think it's fine. Like, I think it's fine. It's okay. It's it's a TV show. Um, and it has a plot and the plot pushes forward. And it's I enjoy it every single week. Um, so I think it's fine. And that's my hot take. It's not particularly spicy, but it's mine and I'm going to stand by it. Yeah. Once, once again, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. The people that love to like, just critique every single Marvel and star Wars project. Like, yeah, the latest Marvel stuff, like hasn't been, I don't know, as good or as impactful as some of the previous stuff, like pre end game or whatever. But yeah, like this season of the Mandalorian, it's fine. You know, it's, it's fine. Like, yeah, they're trying to do a lot in it, but like, I'd rather them try to do a lot than have, just a bunch of filler episodes, you know, like I don't really think any of the episodes in this season have had any filler in them. So solid, solid take, solid take, not even a hot take. It's just truth is what it is. Missy, you got something for me? I don't know that I have a hot take, but I guess my um, puzzle um, this week is about on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, our church today um, traveled to the or journey to the cross. And I was on a station um, doing communion and it was outdoors under these great big live oak trees. And it was just so awesome to be outside. And it was about between six and seven thirty that we were doing this. So it co- had cooled off. The sky was mellowing out and it just was so often just, awesome to lift up that bread and the cup and give thanks to God and look up into that sky with these big branches. And I was just like, I wonder when the church started to believe that we only really should worship inside these really ornate buildings and, and took all of this beauty of nature and then like built these big solid structures so we couldn't see them and put stained glasses glass in it. So then we really couldn't see it. Um, so, um, I love nature and would love to see more of that. One of the things I loved, um, about going to school at Duke, uh, divinity school is the Goodson chapel has these really large glass windows and we would call them, um, natural stained glass windows because there were trees on the other side and they would change with the seasons. So it would be green or, um, as the seasons change, then you started to see all of the different colors. Um, and I really enjoyed, uh, worshiping in that space. Yeah. That reminds me, um, cause I, I often go up to Metkin Abbey, which is a Trappist monastery up in South Carolina and their chapel has these windows, um, that are way up high and like the first service in the morning is at like 4 a.m and the and the chapel itself is pretty dark inside just with candlelight and really low lighting and it's just awesome to look outside and because it lasts like for half an hour you can begin to notice like the stars moving uh, as we are are chanting um the psalm so i really like that connection too once again, these aren't even hot takes. We're just saying like the truth at this point. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I also agree with you on that one because like I tend to feel God more in nature than I do in a building, no matter how beautiful the building is, you know, because uh, like 
So uh, earlier in January, I believe we did a winter retreat where we went to this monastery up in Georgia and the chapel was beautiful, like absolutely like, you know, gorgeous to look at on the outside and the inside. But, you know, uh, I don't know, like in places like that, there comes I think I think you think for me, at least I'm a little bit too in my head about places like that. Because you just have this thing where it's like, I have to be quiet. I don't want to be too loud or, you know, like my, this pew is kind of squeaky. You're a little bit too aware of yourself and not necessarily aware of everything around you. Whereas in nature, like you don't, you don't have to be aware of yourself. You just take it all in anyway. Yeah. It's beautiful stuff here, everybody. Beautiful stuff. So let's jump into this passage, right? Um, there's a lot going on uh, in these, you know, in, in Romans 12 and then the, you know, beginnings of 13. Um, and I'd like to, you know, just start off. I'll go ahead and I guess, you know, I'll, I'll answer the first question to get us get us nice and warmed up. Right. Question one. What did what did you like about this passage? Whenever I preached on it, I, I specifically uh, focused on like the, the last few verses in chapter 12, which was, I believe, 17 to 21. Um, and I think within those verses, there's a certain theme that I think carries throughout all of it, which is a certain kind of, the way I describe it is as a defiant love, right? Because Paul is instructing, you know, people, you know, Christians to essentially say, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him water. And that, you know, and essentially it's like, he said, the way he phrased it was, And if you do this, it will pile burning coals atop their head, which is such like a visceral thing for basically just saying, yeah, be nice to people and it'll have like negative effects on them somehow, Um, you know, and just to like leave revenge to God in a way. But what I think it, it is, it's not necessarily a lot of people look at that passage and I think it relates a lot to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was talking about turning the other cheek. A lot of people relate to it as just to be a call for pacifism, but I don't even necessarily think it's just that. There's something a little bit more behind it where the way I described it is uh, as a sort of defiant love that says, you can do and say whatever you want to me, but I am going to stand here in front of you and I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. And that's what I, you know, that's the bit of the passage that I particularly loved. And then in the beginning of, you know, from uh, chapter 13, Um, it's similar you know Paul's talking about like you know submitting to the government and whatnot and really like that's that's you know most of Paul's poor poor and um, poor and tortured life you know sort of was that you know after he became a Christian it was just imprisonment after imprisonment after torture after beating and whatnot but at no point did he ever seek retribution he was just like yeah I'm just gonna keep preaching keep doing my thing so but yeah that's that's what I particularly love about that passage um Floor's open. Give me whatever you got. I think um, the the verses that really jump out to me um, and kind of welcome me into this general um, passage is verses uh, nine and ten. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, it it just gives me this feeling of um what community really means to me in the ways that 
love in Christian community um, multiplies, that it's not just like a whole bunch of like additions. And that comes right after um, this little section where we talk about the different gifts that people are bringing into the church. Um, And so I feel like there's almost this, um, this assumption from what he's saying that, um, it is not a sum of all of our parts that something multiplies, that there's more, that the love that brings us together in community along with gifts, um, create something that actually brings about, um, more of God. And I think that that's, um, it's not like it's expressly stated, but I can just get this sense of that's where we're headed before we start getting into some of the um, more minutia of like, do this, do this, do this. I, I really enjoy those couple of verses. Well, kind of a, along those same lines, Haley, the picture that I get, especially for the second part of chapter 12 from like nine through 21 is, you know, in Florida, we all have these ponds all over the place to, to soak up the extra water when there's too much rain. And so to help prevent flooding and, but on a calm day, those ponds are really still and they're like glass. And um, when somebody throws a rock in the middle of, of the pond, it just like generates this ripple that goes outward. And Um, I think of like Christ being that rock thrown into the middle of this pond that's quiet and still, and it begins to incorporate all people into, into the community and it, and the ripples start with people who are closest to us, the saints in the church, blah, blah, blah. And then it moves out to welcoming and extending hospitality to strangers. And it talks about um, loving our enemies and somehow all of these people are a part of the pond and all are affected by the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And it's just marvelous to think that, you know, oftentimes when I think of community, I'm thinking of, well, people around me who support me and I support them. But Paul is saying, no, it's bigger than that. It, it, the ramification is that it will incorporate so many more people. And we can imagine. I just, I love the idea. um, Or not the idea, but just this really like three through eight um, in chapter 12 is just like a textbook guide for community. Um. And I just, I see every day, everybody struggling to adopt a healthy way of being in community with one another. I mean, that's, that's when you really break it down. I mean, the, the human experience is living in community with other people. It doesn't matter if you don't specifically live with somebody uh, like you, it doesn't matter if you share a house um, or like an apartment or whatever, like that, like community is beyond that. Um, like humans are in community with one another as strangers on the street. Um, 
I've just, I don't know. I've just been thinking about, about how much humans like are capable of hating each other lately. And I, I don't know what the like solution is for any of that. Um, but I see a, a pretty clear guide here of like, how we can be better to one another. Um, I've been thinking about the saying that uh, your right to swing your fist ends where your neighbor's face begins. Um, and when I read this passage, uh, just this whole, this really this whole chapter, I just see that spoken out. Um, genuine, loving, um, blessing those who persecute you, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Like that sounds like such a great life. And I wish that we could be better at that. Yeah. Love that. Good. Absolutely. Great stuff all around. I could sit here all day and talk a little bit about, you know, what each of us said. Um, to, to just briefly piggyback off of, off of what you said, Ty, it's like the Beatles said, all you need is love, man. <laughs> but I think that kind of, in a way that sort of segues us uh, into our next question, which is what challenged you about this passage. And this is where I think, you know, particularly what you said, Ty, is a great springboard, because for me, what challenged me is the very beginning of chapter 13, when Paul is saying, you know, submit to the government, right, to the, the authorities placed above you. And the reason I have a hard time with statements like that is because in, you know, Certainly back then, the government wasn't great either. Um, but in this current day and age, like we often as people find ourselves battling with the government that takes away like, you know, women's rights to do what, you know, what, what they want with their bodies, you know, or how the government has, you know, for decades, like oppressed people of color, you know, it's like we live in an age where the government is often just like a tool of oppression and all the th changes that we wish we could make for the better to be, you know, like to make things better for like all people, right. Often we're unable to make those changes for whatever reason, right. From just like, you know, bureaucracy and politicians and their, and, you know, every politician will make a promise that they're going to do this, they're going to do this. And most of their promises get left unfulfilled because of just the way the machine works. Right. And so I don't know. I just I have a hard time, you know, when Paul is like, yeah, submit to the government. I'm like, but what if the government is bad? Right. <laughs> what if the government is just not. Is, you know, just still doing all these horrible things like taking away women's rights to choose, like oppressing people of color and then just like and you know cr widening the gap between the poor and the rich it's like i i struggle a lot with with uh, with statements like that so but uh yeah floor is open guys what do you what challenged you well chapter 13 <laughs> 1 through 7 challenged me you know i thought we were going to just concentrate on uh, chapter 12 and i was like Ah, what what don't I like about chapter 12? Well, that's a little hard. But then I heard that we were doing 13, chapter 13, verses one through seven. I went, oh no. <laughs> because Paul can be really difficult sometimes ethically. 
Um, especially when he just seems to be throwing out some random ethics that he would like his communities. When he's focused on some things, he does a great job, but things like the household codes and, and Ephesians and Colossians and this passage are very difficult. And, you know, chapter 13 verses one through seven isn't even in the lectionary, which, you know, that regular reading of all the scriptures will, it totally avoids this section because it's controversial and it doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the message that Paul is, is trying to convey, especially that central message. And Romans can be rather difficult because um, it seems to have sections and um, depending on what section you think is the center, then you can look at the rest of the book of Romans to understand it. And so what's important to me is that section from chapters five through eight, where there, we are looking at participating with Christ um, through the Holy Spirit in a cruciform way and waiting for Jesus to come again. And then you throw this ethic in there and I don't know what to do with it. And a lot of people don't know what to do with it. Um, a lot of people think it's Hellenistic. So it's not even, it's probably an influence of the society around Paul um, some people have said things like, well, um, he didn't want to upset the Roman authorities. He want, you know, he wanted to be able to preach and he didn't want to cause problems for the believers. So he modified his message. And then others say things like, um, he thinks that Jesus is coming back really soon. So don't worry about this. <laughs> but even if Jesus is coming back soon, really, we shouldn't worry about regimes that persecute people who take away people's rights, who say some people are more than than others. And if you've just come off an ethic in chapter 12, where it's like everybody has all these different gifts and we're supposed to interact in community, it doesn't, I don't hear a lot of hierarchy in chapter 12. And then all of a sudden chapter 13 hits with this hierarchy that is hard for me um, to swallow. You know, I think that if, um, like the people that are elected that, that we have elected to be our representation in America, um, were more willing to live by chapter 12, then chapter 13 wouldn't be such a hard pill to swallow. Um, and I really, I just, I come through when I read through Romans and I get to parts like this, um, like I just, I don't know. I mean, right. There is, con there is a historical context that we have to take into consideration as to why Paul might have written this, but, uh, and, and this comes easier for me to say, because I'm not the kind of person who reads, like, I'm not a, a, um, uh, like a biblical, like fundamentalist. Um, uh, so I can, I, I read this passage and I think, Paul, you are just, you're wrong. You're not, you're incorrect here. Um, and there are people who would be very critical of me for saying that um, because, you know, they, they think that the, what's in the Bible, it, you know, it has to be taken without um, criticism uh, that criticism is like an affront to God. I don't think so. I think God created us with the, uh, the capacity for criticism. Um, and I think welcomes that. Um, 
Yeah, this this if there's anything in this this there's really nothing in chapter twelve that I struggle with, um, except for the action of of it of following the guidelines, um, which I don't know anybody who is like just readily able to be a perfect example of Romans 12. Um, that would be great, but it's just not how it works a lot of the time. Most of the time, all the time. Chapter 13. I just, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a struggle. I think Paul's wrong. I, I, so my, my challenge actually isn't from 13, but I, I do want to weigh in because it is such an interesting conversation. And one thing that I think makes chapter 13 really hard for us um, is that so much of our understanding of God has shifted where I'll say within my own personal theology, where God is not hierarchical to me anymore. Um, and that's not to even say that like, there aren't some staunch differences between me as a a human person, especially, um, I know we won't air it then, but we're, it's good Friday. So I'm definitely thinking about that (laughs) mortality piece. Um, but that there's this sense of like, community and oneness where God is maybe is more at the center than at the top. Um, and I don't know that Paul would have had that understanding of God, especially with so much of his influence from being raised Jewish, the way that the, the priesthood would work, that the Holy of Holies, the separation, um, and even being the kind of zealous person who was like persecuting people who were following Jesus and not following these rules. Um, I'm not saying that makes it okay. I just wonder, I do think that hierarchical structures and understandings of God, those theologies have severely impacted the way we see other relationships in the here and now and have caused us to like overlay hierarchies on relationships in ways that have been very unhealthy for people. Um, So for example, um, within uh, marriage relationships, I think hierarchical structures of God have led to or have contributed to a hierarchical understanding of a marital relationship where a man is the head of the household, a woman subservient to them, children are subservient to them. And um, that can go wrong very quickly if there are any instances of abuse or if people are abusing their power. And I think the same thing happens within political relationships, that when you have that hierarchical version of view of God, you can very easily say, well, you know, God put this leader in this place for a reason. And then you don't um, challenge the power that's there because maybe you feel subservient under it um, and you're supposed to be. Um, and then I think that's where, um, there's a saying that's like, if, if God is man, like, you know, we'll use a lot of like, um, 
he pronouns and things for God. But if like God is man, if we think of God as man, then man is God. And I think sometimes we'll overlay a president or a ruler or a husband or a, a manager uh, or, you know, back in these times, a, a master over servants will create these roles where they're like acting as God for people, which is just not good theology or good ways of us like connecting and goes very against other theologies we hear throughout the Bible. Um, But anyway, I'm just pointing that out because I think that this passage especially has contributed to continued theologies like that. And there are places where that's combated. It doesn't make it okay. Just, I think it's a part of the story. Um, But it's not even my challenge. I spent forever talking about it because the challenge that I had was actually um, less about the passage and more about when I encounter those passages that, um, are, are triggers to past messages I've heard. Um, and it was verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And when I was growing up, that idea of not being conformed to the world was an excuse to be very separate from the world. We never even really said the whole verse. It's kind of like, don't be conformed to the world. And so that's where Christian became an adjective. Um, So, you know, we had to listen to Christian music. Um, We had to like, um, a lot of us went to Christian schools or were homeschooled so that we'd be like separate from the world around us. Um, You had uh, Christian ways of dating. This is also like in the heyday of purity culture. So I kissed dating goodbye and knew like courtship rules. Um, and that kind of separation from the world is so counter to what Paul is even saying in this passage. Um, but also kind of creates the separation, um, that doesn't allow us to connect, uh, well to a larger community. Um, I, I felt like I heard God say, and I don't hear God audibly, but it felt like such a strong message, um, last year about, about this time, um, an invitation to start exploring some sort of, um, interfaith journey. Like what, what does interfaith work look like? How do I connect? And one of the things that, um, I've had some really great conversations through that. Um, and I, uh, met someone who is a uh, Muslim on UNF's campus. And we were talking about how both of us were raised in these environments where the message was, don't get to know anybody outside of our group, but we're in, you know, she's experiencing that from her Muslim context. And I'm experiencing that from my Christian context. And we were both just kind of laughing about like, wow, we're really not that dangerous for each other. Like we can respect each other. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. You're not trying to convince me of anything. We can actually like learn something from one another. Um, And I don't think that that's conforming. Um, If anything, I think that there's something transformational in the ability to see God and other people and um, the ways that we were able to connect. So 
um, that was my challenge. Sorry for going on so long. No worries. No worries. Good stuff all around. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're all mostly united. You know, pretty much united in our uh, challenge of of uh, chapter thirteen, one through seven. Um, we have one last question, um, and that question is: uh, Where do you find a blessing in these passages? Essentially, I think I'm getting the words wrong. Oh yeah, where do you find a blessing uh, amongst these passages? And yeah, for me, it it goes. I'm, you know, I'm going back to chapter 12 because that's where all the, all the great stuff is. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that 13 isn't great. It's just a little, a little different, but yeah, for me in 12, um, my blessing is, it is like the instruction and kind of maybe not instruction so much as just the reaffirmation of the power of love, right? Like to be able, because it's such like a hard, um, like goal. Essentially, it's not the word I'm. I really want, but it's such a hard thing to aspire to. To be able to just, you know, if your enemy's hungry, like feed him, right? Because often, whenever, whenever you know, we experience conflict, and I guess me. You know, for me, like whenever I experience conflict, the last thing that is on my mind is being nice to the person I'm having conflict with in a way, you know, particularly if it's like a big conflict, right? If it's something like, oh, you left your clothes in the dryer, like that's, that's an easy thing. But like, you know, if you and another person are having like a a proper row about something, you know, it's, it's hard to not get swept away by your emotions. And then now you're meeting their anger with your anger and it just keeps escalating and boiling over um, until, you know, everything just kind of bursts at the seams. But the way, you know, Paul describes the power of love in the way of just, yeah, like just whatever, you know, if someone is, if someone hates you, if someone is, you know, arguing with you or whatever, just meet them with love because that essentially is like pouring water on a fire um, except for if it's an electrical fire, in which case don't pour water on it, kids. But like that, because there it's there's such a power in it, and it takes so much self control, and not you know in order to do that, not only do you have to be showing love to you know this person that you're having a conflict with, but you also have to show immense amounts of love and patience, like to yourself, like in that moment. You know, it's like you have to be like I said earlier, you have to be resolute and defiant in, in your stance. Right. And just have to tell the person, it's like, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. And I want to solve this, but being angry about it is not going to fix this. It'll only make it worse. So I want to fix this as peacefully and as lovingly as possible. And yeah, I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot of power in that. And so that's, because I lately over the last three or four months, I've been getting a lot of messages from 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 dear old Jesus about uh, you know radical forgiveness and hope and love and all that fun stuff. And then uh, you know Haley's like, oh yeah, you want to preach this semester? I'm like, yeah, sure. And like, what passages? And it's these passages. And I'm like, ah, cool. Yeah, uh, you know, put put another one on the scoreboard for God uh, for uh, messages received. Nice, thank you. 
But yeah, so that's my blessing. Can I just say it was such a blessing to hear your message and I did not like even review the passages. It was just like, I'm just going to give him one of mine. Um, And because of so many conversations we've been having in our one-on-ones and hearing these, the ways that you were able to share some of those lessons, like that was a blessing to me Um, to just be able to to see those, like you've told me in one-on-ones that you, you feel like you're getting the same message from 18 different places. And I was like, Oh, and here's another place. I can see what you're saying. So I, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, mine is my, my, uh, blessing. I mean, I'm still kind of like figuring it out because, you know, that is part of the life. It's interesting to me, you know, there's different, um, philosophies around what it means to be kind of like coming into like the likeness of Christ, kind of like, um, like chicken or an egg type debate of like, how, how does this kind of thing get started? And I, I, find this blessing in this place where Paul says, like, be nice to people. It's like heaping coals, burning coals over their heads. And it's almost like this message of like, um, it, it reminds me of the kind of philosophical idea that doing, um, is what leads to transformation, not just thinking like if, if you have to do it just because you think it's going to like make somebody mad that you're being nice to them and, and you, that they don't deserve it. You're still going to get this like reward from it because it's going to end up changing you. Like, I don't think he takes it out to its conclusion, but I think you're going to end up like not doing it because you're trying to heat burning coals on people's heads. (laughs) Um, because, um, because you're going to be the kind of person who responds that way um, because you start to see people as beloved and you start to see people as just as flawed as you are and in need of grace. Um, And I also wonder about that, that passage. I mean, that could have been another challenge for me, honestly. Um, But I think about the times that I've struggled to accept the love that God has given me like there are times where God is responding lovingly to me and it has felt almost painful because I just felt like I didn't deserve it. Um, and I really, I, I think I, um, kind of go back to the ways that Paul describes it. Um, and I know that that's not God's intention for me. I know that God isn't loving me in order to hurt me. <laughs> um, but hoping that, um, instead of holding on to my own like resentment or insecurity or lack of self-worth or whatever it is, that's like making it difficult to accept um, that there will be something within me that can receive that blessing as cold water and refreshment and um, nourishment to my soul. So I know that's kind of like an odd place to go, but I think I'm comforted that, um, that God can transform us through the doing. And sometimes I don't always feel it. Um, and that maybe that's okay because God is still like transforming in the, the doing of the loving things to the people. 
So I find it interesting that um, in, in some of this, like different sections where it might be a challenge for me, might be a blessing to another person and vice versa. Um, so my blessing is verse two in, in chapter 12. And, you know, Haley, to hear you talk about it and how it was taught to you, I'm just like horrified. I'm just like, it's never even occurred to me to use this passage in such a way. Although when tied closely to, to chapter 13, verses one through seven, I could see how people would do that and make, set up this binary of bad world, good world. And we want to be the good world and stay over in, the, in this side. Um, and, and recently I was in a conversation about how to educate, properly educate um, children uh, in a more Christian setting. And one of the, the arguments somebody was making is, well, you, you know, you, you have them wear uniforms. That way they don't come to school wearing their pop culture and thus introducing all this like bizarre stuff and having conversations around it. Instead, we want them to focus on the classics and, you know, studying the Bible and reading Dostoevsky. And, and it's just like, yeah, but Dostoevsky once was pop culture, you know, and the Bible was once pop culture. So, you know, it's just, I, I don't understand this binary that's set up by so many people. And um, to be honest with Paul, my relationship with him has not always been the best. It started off as a really rocky relationship where all I could see were these harmful binaries and hierarchies. But um, after a while, um, uh, I came to really appreciate Paul and, and, um, and his writings. And, and that's because I think I take as his center is that um, what happened on the cross is that um, Jesus's love, his radical love, his agency, his subjectivity was not diminished by anything. It, it, it conquered all things. And because of that, um, we, through the spirit, can now participate in that radical love and community now. And my favorite passage of Paul's is um, the Christ hymn in Philippians chapters two, verses five through 11, that goes through about Christ emptying himself in humility. And, and it ends with have the same mind that is in Christ. And so the debate is, is, well, how do you get the same mind that is in, in Christ? And, you know, you've talked about maybe by loving others, our minds begin to develop the same mind in Christ. But I think there's also um, a thread in Paul where that same mind in Christ is being reconstituted in our mind on an unending basis that because of the Holy Spirit, we can have the same mind that is in Christ. We can have these practices of community that seem so difficult. And so that we become these flowing receptacles of the Holy Spirit and thus take on a more cruciform life. And I don't think in any of Jesus's ministry, I saw anything that was binary except where there was exclusion. Um, so I just felt like his ministry was always embraced. Um, and that's what a cruciform life could look like. I might be rambling on. No, I love that. I think the blessing that I take from this comes out of the idea of um, 
there being many parts to one body and a a lot of the time i tend to put a unfair um weight on my own shoulders to be the person who is able to do it all um and it doesn't it's not healthy um and just i forget a lot of the time especially working in um in, in a faith-based context that there are people who are bringing individual gifts to the table. Um, and I'm allowed and I think encouraged to, to lean into the things that I am gifted with. And well, I, I'm allowed to lean on other people, uh, who are gifted in different ways than I am. Um, I think that it's important to to be people who challenge ourselves. I think it's important for me to challenge myself using I language here. Um, but I don't need to let that challenge overwhelm me. Um, I don't need to feel like I need to be good at everything. And so I find uh, a lot of relief and... Um, and I think I, I find a better way through this particular passage. I love that. I love that. I, I feel like I feel like I'm turning into Derek when I'm where I'm just like, great stuff, y'all. Great stuff. You know, <laughs> like like at every podcast, Derek's always like, wow. And because I edit Bar of the Conference, I get to listen to that literally all the time. He's just like, hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just all of his little Derekisms. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all right. Um I don't need, I don't even know what to say. Like I could just, just leave it there, honestly, you know. Uh first of all, well, I'd like to thank all of you for joining me uh for this episode. This is a lovely episode, a wonderful passage to talk about and has everything honestly i mean i feel like i've i've done some podcasts you know like this where you're asked to find something you like about a passage that is just really tough you know like if we only did you know 13 1 through 7 right we'd we'd be this this would be a lot shorter because we'd be like i don't know what i like about it but i'll try you know but these verses really have everything to them you know there's a lot of there's a lot of depth um a lot of depth to them and a lot of a lot of thought that could be put into it. so yeah um uh, yeah thank y'all so much for joining me uh would anybody like to volunteer to pray us out well sure i can do that <clears throat> god i am thankful for the conversation that took place here today um i'm thankful for this text that leads to so many conversations. Um, and I'm grateful that we have the capacity to approach discussions about the Bible from many different perspectives um, because different perspectives give life to the text and give life to us. Um, 
So I thank you for for this conversation and I thank you for these words. Would you continue to allow us uh, and encourage us to have conversations like this? Amen. The Coliseum Podcast is a production of Campus to City Wesley, serving college-aged young adults in Jacksonville, St. Augustine, and Northeast Florida. Thank you to our host, our guests, our production staff for their work on this episode. We'll talk to you next week.